Well, I had thought it was important for us to hear about the Karis Fellowship. If you don't know, uh, we do have a membership class today, and we have about 12 people signed up. And, you know, membership is an important part of the church because it's a commitment. It's a commitment to each and every person in here. And, and I want us to understand that, you know, we are part of something bigger, that we are part of a worldwide ministry to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are not alone in our faith. Uh, and, and again, it, it can be a tough and cruel world out there, but there are men and women across the U.S. and across the world who love Jesus and who want to commit themselves to the gospel the way that we have. And I wanted us to make sure uh, that we understand uh, what we stand for and what we're a part of. So I appreciate Andrew being able to do that. And as we have members coming in, again, it is with, with great sadness that we lost Ken this past week. Uh, but I'll tell you, his spirit... Uh, was strong as ever until the end, and uh, it was just a joy to be able to know Ken and to be there with him. And so continue to pray for the family as they go through this time. Well, we're talking about the holiness of God, and, and again, my prayer, my desire is for us to really see the gap that exists between us and God, uh, and we really understand the significance of what the cross means to us. But when we talk about the holiness of God, today we're going to talk about the name of God. And names are really important, right? I mean, think about how many times parents, when they've had a child for those nine months, debated and discussed, what are we going to call this child? I mean, it's not uncommon that when a child is born, that sometimes the parents still can't even think of the name yet. And they're just, you know, boy or girl at that point until they come up with a name because they want to get it just right. Or, or how many times you've, you've brought a, a pet into your home and, and as a family, you've tried to think about what are we going to call it? And maybe you, you call it something based off its appearance or, or how it's acting. We do that in history as well. We, we have names of people, but we give nicknames, right? Because of the things that they've done that captures the essence of who they are. We, we give nicknames to family members and friends because nicknames are something that at times bond us with one another. And it, it, again, it allows us to make these connections with who people are. So just to give you a couple in history here. Um, Francis Marion was given the nickname the Swamp Fox. Uh, he was a militia leader of South Carolina during the American Revolution, uh, and he harassed the British down in the southern part, and he basically would use guerrilla-style tactics where he would fight and run off into the swamps that were there. <clears throat> general uh, Winfield Scott was a highly decorated general that helped to defeat Santa Ana, uh, and capture Mexico City back in the 1840s. He was given the nickname Old Fuss and Feathers because he deeply prided himself on proper military attire and appearance, right? So that's what he was known for. Uh, Joe Montana, popular uh, and, and ever great quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, was nicknamed Joe Cool uh, because of his calmness under pressure. Uh, and his famous moment was in the one Super Bowl 23. There was a break uh, in the game, and he basically pointed to his teammates and he said, Hey guys, look, there's John Candy. And if you don't know, John Candy was a popular actor before he had passed. And even James Brown was deemed the godfather of soul. He got that nickname because as he began to get into music, he watched all these southern uh, black preachers and gospel singers. And he, he took their music and their style and he transitioned into the secular world. And his theatrical dance moves, he tried to mimic 
after those pastors and after those gospel uh, choirs that he had seen. So, so names are important, right? Names, again, help to identify who we are and say something about us. And as we, again, go through this series today, The Holiness of God, we're talking about the name of God and why the name of God alone is to be considered holy. And again, it's to be distinct and to be separate from everything else. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to kind of be all over the place. The main passage we'll be in will be in Exodus chapter 3. We won't actually get to Exodus chapter 3 for a little bit, but if you want to get yourself prepped. Uh, we're going to start with Matthew 6, 9, though. So Jesus has his Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking to his disciples, and he's trying to get his, under, his disciples to understand how they are to be different. And a lot of what the disciples are doing is contrasted with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And one of these areas that he tries to have them understand is in this area of prayer, because they come to Jesus and say, how are we supposed to pray? What is that supposed to look like? And so he starts off this prayer with, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When he starts this idea of how it is his disciples are to pray, he doesn't begin with a request. He doesn't begin with give your thanksgivings or your praises. He starts with the idea, your job is to make my name Holy. It, it, hallowed is actually a verb. It's an action word of what we are supposed to do. So that when we pray, we literally again are praying, God, would your name be holy? Now, we, we probably don't think about our prayers like that very often. A lot of times when we come to God, we, we come with prayers that, that are for other people, for healing. We come with prayers that are, are, are set for, for outreach and ministry, that people would come to know Christ. We, we pray for transformation in our hearts by the spirits that sin would be cast aside. And not that those prayers are wrong, but I don't think we often think when we pray that we are literally praying God, would you stand out distinct in this world? One commentator said, too often we barge into God's presence and presumptuous to-do list for him without being mindful of his holiness, his awesomeness, and the vast chasm that separates our nature from him. So again, our, our job in our prayer is to begin by making his name holy. Another popular passage that we need to consider is Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Uh, he has brought the Egyptians out of slavery. They're wandering in the desert. And again, he's brought these people to him so that they are the visible representation of God, right? That they are to be different from the rest of the world that exists. And he brings Moses up onto the mountaintop and he says, I'm going to give you a series of laws so that way you know how how you are to worship me and how you are to live in this world separate from everything else so that, again, I stand out. And in these Ten Commandments, the first four are all fixed on God and the last six are all fixed on the relationship that we have with each other. And in command number four, Exodus 20, verse seven, he says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord God will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses 
his name. A lot of times we hear it phrased as, you know, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Right. We're, we're not to use his name in a way that vain says it's, it's empty or, or worthless. Uh, this idea that when I say his name, it doesn't bring any good purpose. We don't talk about God in a way that would ever do that because that was a misuse of the name of God. You know, a lot of times individuals will use the phrase, you know, oh, gosh, it, you know, I cleaned it up a little bit. Um, but but people use that phrase very nonchalant. Uh, they use it very haphazardly. But when, we, when people say that phrase to them, it may, may not mean anything. But really what we need to understand is when people use that phrase and they use God's name in that way, that that term is clothed in anger and bitterness and revenge and hostility. It's not one that recognizes really what is God's will. Instead, what we've done is we've basically taken God's name and said, God, I want you to do my will that is more or less bent on anger and frustration and evil. And again, as I said, we trivialize that phrase so much that what we don't realize is there are significant theological understandings when we use that phrase. And it is a phrase that does not honor a holy God. We also see in Leviticus, he he talks about how else we might use his name. He says, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your Lord, uh, of your God. I am the Lord. See, a lot of times people will, will make an oath. They'll make a promise. And what they'll do is they'll take the name of God and they will invoke it into that promise. Almost as, as, as if God is collateral, that what they are saying is, is, is going to be done. But what, what the Bible is saying, please don't use God's name that way. Because if you fail to uphold whatever it is that you have promised, where you have used the name of God as collateral then you have significantly damaged the name of God because you put all your weight in stock that you would do it because of your God and your Savior, and instead you failed to come across what you should do. And when we fail to do that, really it's a fail to show reverence for our Lord and our God. And so we need to think about when we use his name, Because again, his name is holy. His name is distinct and set apart. You know, in in Jewish culture back then and even today, the name of God was so sacred that they wouldn't actually even write the word God. You might might have some friends that are Jewish. Instead of spelling God, G-O-D, they actually spell it G hyphen D. Or when they use the phrase Yahweh, they'll remove the vowels because to write the full name of God would be blasphemy. That's how sacred some people hold the name of God today. And and I'm sure we probably have not thought about the name of God that way. And I'm not saying you can't write God with, with a no. I think that's okay. 
But again, the point of what we're trying to understand today is why God's name is to be held in such reverence when so often the society treats it like it's nothing. Let me just give you a couple other verses here before we move to the next part. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 29, verse 2, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Psalm 8, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Psalm 111, verse 9, he provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. So the name of God, again, is to be revered. It's to be treated in a way that is sacred and holy. And we need to understand that any violation of treating his name needs to be dealt with in a manner that is appropriate. And we see in the scriptures how that actually happens. In the book of Leviticus 24, we have this little case study here, starting in verse 10. It says, Now the son of an Israelite mother... And an Egyptian father went out among the Israelites and a fight broke out in the camp between him and an Israelite. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name with a curse. So they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shemalith, the daughter of Debre the Danite. They put him in custody until the will of the Lord should be made clear. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the blasphemer outside the camp all of those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head and say to the entire assembly, and, and the entire assembly is to stone him. Say to the Israelites, if anyone curses his God, he will be held responsible. And anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. And the entire assembly stone him. Whether an alien or native born, when he blasphemes the name, he must be put to death. So this man gets into a fight, and in the process of the fight, he blasphemies the name of God. And when we talk about blasphemy, it's, it's slander. It means to puncture. It means to pierce. So he literally is piercing the name of God with what? A curse. And so they take him before Moses, and they're like, Moses, what are we supposed to do? And God says, you take him outside the camp, and you stone him to death. And the reason why he went outside the camp was because, again, the camp was sacred. And anything that was profane or evil or vile was dealt with outside the camp, right? You, you remove the unholy from the holy and you put it out there. And everybody put their hands on the man to say, yes, I am admitting to the fact that I heard this man blaspheme the name of God. And if I am lying, I will be held accountable for that. And they pick up stones and they stone him to death. And I'm sure we might be thinking, ah, that's, that's pretty harsh. Seems a little cruel. I mean, I, I get why the unbelieving world probably thinks the God of the Old Testament is an evil and vindictive God. I mean, you're, you're going to stone a man because he badmouthed God? I mean, we, we badmouth people all the time, which isn't right. But just because we badmouth somebody doesn't mean we take them out in, in, in the public park and we all grab stones and we stone them to death. This doesn't make any sense. It seems rather excessive. 
But again, when we don't understand the context, when we don't understand our God, all of this seems to be unfair and it seems to be cruel and blown out of proportion. And that's why it is so important that we understand who our God is and who we are so we can make sense of when we read something like this. And so to understand why God's name shouldn't be blasphemed, this is where we go to Exodus chapter 3. So again, the, the Israelites have been enslaved. Moses was, was there to help free the people. He was brought up in Pharaoh's court. Uh, he rejects that upbringing. He, he runs away. He flees to, to, to Midian. And while he's there and his people are still in slavery in Egypt, God comes to him in the burning bush. And he talks to Moses. And he says, Moses... You need to go back because you are going to free my people. And so in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 7, here's where we pick up. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. And God said, I will be with you and this will be a sign. That when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship the God on the mountain. Say to the Israelites, the God of Abraham, the fathers, the God of Isaac, of Jacob has sent me. This is the name forever, the name by which I am going to be remembered from generation to generation. God, you're telling me to go free my people. And what happens when I get there? And they are like, wait, God sent you? How do we know God sent you? What am I supposed to tell them, God? And he says, you just tell them I am sent you. I am? I am that, that's the name that I'm supposed to tell them? That, that doesn't seem like that tells me anything. They're just supposed to know that? Well, see, see that idea, I am, carries so much weight. Because this is going to be the name that God is going to use for all generations. This is going to be his proper name that he's going to talk about. So when he says I am, it's the verb form to be to be or to exist. So what God is telling Moses, he's saying, look, Moses, you tell them the the one who existed, the one who exists is the one that has sent you. That that's that's the name that you're supposed to use. And it's actually a combination of all three tenses, past, present and future. That's where we get that word Yahweh. It's a combination of all of these. So when he says, I am, what is he really declaring? God is telling Moses, he's saying, look, I am the, the self-existent. I am the eternal God. I am the, the self-sufficient, self-directed God of this world. I am the unchanging God of this world, Moses. That's what my name means when I say I am. 
And when he says that, he's also declaring to the rest of the world that this God, the the God of, uh, of the Hebrews, of the Israelites, Yahweh is distinct from every other God that has ever been crafted by the hand of man or by some legend or mythic story that's ever been told. He says, I have a name that does not depend upon you for my existence. Quite frankly, again, you depend upon my existence. He says, I've given you a name that is to contrast all of the polytheistic gods that exist out there. And I am a monotheistic God. I am one God that exists over everything and I own everything. Unlike all of these gods of Egypt and all of these polytheistic cultures where these individual gods would all have their their tiny little realm of society or history or mankind. Right? There, there was the God of love and the God of fertility, the God of death, the God of war. And God basically said, yeah, I'm all of that when I say I am. So when the name of God is to be held sacred, that is why his name is to be elevated above all names. Because when we say I am, what we are saying is there is no other God. It's a representation of his glory, his majesty, his supreme deity. That's what the name of God stands for. And again, names back then carried a lot more weight than they they probably do now. But names, I mean, the term literally name itself in Hebrew means, means character or reputation or fame. So when we say the name of God, we're saying the character or the fame or the reputation of God is at stake. So when we come to the New Testament... And the name of God begins to get tossed around. It's not surprising that many times the name of God is met with hostility. You know, in the book of John, Jesus connects himself with the phrase I am. He he has these seven I am statements that he talks about to his people. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. These are seven statements, seven I am statements about God's salvation that Jesus connects himself to. And in John chapter 8, he does something extremely provocative. He's having this conversation with some of the religious leaders and they're trying to figure out, Jesus, who exactly are you? And in John chapter 80, he goes through this conversation. He says, look, I'm from above, guys. You guys are from below. And if you were my disciples, you guys would be free. And they're like, what are you talking about? We're from Abraham. We're free. I don't understand what you're saying here, Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm not talking about your your freedom. I'm talking about the fact that you are a slave to sin and you're doing the work of your father. 
And he's implying that the work of their father is from Satan. And they're like, our father, our father is Abraham. What are you talking about? Jesus, we don't understand what you're saying. And Jesus is like, your father is, is the devil. Your father is Satan. And you're doing the work and the sins of your father. And at this point, they're like, Jesus, you are demon possessed. And Jesus is like, guys, you don't get it. You pride yourselves on Abraham. Don't you know that Abraham looked forward to my coming? And they're like, Jesus, you're not even 50 years old. How is it that Abraham was looking forward to you? And then he says this, verse 58 of chapter 8. He says, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this they picked up the stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the, te from the temple. Jesus is like, I'm going to end this conversation right here. You want to know who I am? I am. That is it. Plain and simple. Jesus has just declared to these Pharisees, I am God. I am the eternal self-existent one. I am in control of this entire world and this entire universe. And at that point, they say that is blasphemy and that deserves to die. And they pick up stones to stone him because his name carried so much weight. And you know, in our world today, the word Christian becomes more and more a word of hatred. To carry the name of Christ becomes harder and harder in this world in which we live. Now, now they're, they're, don't get me wrong, it's kind of a love-hate relationship. Because see, this world loves our generosity. This world loves Christian charity. This world loves when we, we put on community events and we get people together. And this community loves when we put on a fair. This community comes and, and loves it when we, we have food and clothing donation drives. See, nobody has a problem with that. The problem is when we start talking about the sins of mankind then all of a sudden we've gone from people of love to now people of hate. But see, if I'm going to call myself a Christian, if I'm going to take the name of Christ, I, I can't just take part of who Christ is and excuse the other part. right? I, I can't be the Christian that says I'm going to help the drug addict and help him, help him through rehab, but not talk about his need for repentance of his sins. See, I, I can't be the Christian that says, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand out food, but then not talk about the reality of heaven and hell. Because when you mention the name Christ, yes, very much so, it is about our concern for humanity. But more importantly, when you mention the name of Christ, you are talking about the salvation of the souls of man. And there is no way that you can separate the two of those concepts. Because when you talk about Christ, when you talk about God, it is all of those factors that exist. Acts 4.12 
Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Jesus itself, the, the Greek word there, Yeshua, literally means salvation. Do you know that? The name of Jesus literally translates into salvation. And so we live in a world today where people talk about God and they say, I believe in God. And they throw out this generic term. And when we talk about what God means, God becomes this do whatever you want with him. Draw your own picture, craft your own story. You know why? Because God is your God and nobody can define for you who God is. That's what the world says today. And that is not what the scripture says. Because when we use the word God and we use the word Yahweh, the great I am, we are talking about the God of the scriptures who created this world, who gave us life, who came into this world to die for our sins and will come back a second time and make this world new. That is the God and the only God that exists. Philippians 2. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. When we mention Christ, it is a powerful name. There is no name more powerful than that. His name is more powerful than Muhammad. It is more powerful than Allah. It is more powerful than the Buddha, than Abraham, or any other spiritual meditation that anyone can think of. When we mention the name of Jesus Christ, that is the only place that we will find salvation. Because it is his name and his name alone that means salvation. So why is his name holy? Why do we not take this name lightly? Why do we not misuse the name of God? Because if it wasn't for Christ, we would never find our salvation. Let's pray. Father, we can be so careless. We can be so insensitive. We throw your name around if it's some sort of byword, uh, some sort of make us feel good. Lord, I, I pray and my hope again is, is that as we've sat here today, that we truly think about what your name and your name alone means. Let us use your name with reverence. Let us not cast your name in a way that, that, that brings a, a negative light upon you that casts mud upon your name. But let us use your name, that your name will be glorified, that your name would be holy and distinct from this world. Let us use your name and the power and the authority that you have designed to do to go forward into this world, to bring salvation, that as men and women proclaim your great name, that name again would be glorified. 
Thank you, Lord, that you don't destroy us when we treat you so lightly. But let this last part of worship now be a time of great reverence and holy sacredness for who you are. Amen.